What's up, Barflies? Welcome to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube, where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold. There's no dress code, and you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool, drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks and let's go. All right, Calvin, we made it. It's Thursday, stream number four. We're excited. And uh, no games today, but we still have a ton to talk about. We had two teams go fishing last night. They are officially eliminated, and there's going to be two more teams going fishing tomorrow. So first off, I want to just kind of uh, give a couple updates as far as news going on in the NBA. The Cavaliers' Jared Allen is questionable for the game tomorrow. Uh, that is huge for the Cavs. If they're going to win yes. that game, I really think they're going to need him. We don't know what's going on with John Collins. He missed the last game as well. Both of those teams need those guys. They really do. Also, good news about Curry. He is very optimistic. He will be available to play in game one for the Golden State Warriors on Saturday, which is huge, and I know many Warriors fans have got to feel a lot of relief, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. He's going to be on a minutes restriction is what they said, but we'll we'll have to see how it goes. If he's feeling good and the game is close, I have a feeling yeah. that he'll keep playing. <laughs> I mean, if he's only playing 20 minutes, he can still have a huge impact oh, on yes, the team. Oh, yes, definitely. As Gotham says, only my lady gets the tip. Sorry. <laughs> it's my tip. <laughs> oh, my tip. That tip. <laughs> Key difference there. Same thing, same thing. All right, Calvin, so let's talk about Friday's games. First off, we have the Eastern Conference matchup, Hawks at Cleveland Cavaliers. Let me hear your thoughts on this game. I know we just talked about injuries, but I, I just want to hear your overall thoughts on this game. This game is going to be very interesting because these two teams go about their business in very different ways. The Hawks have the number one offensive rating in the NBA at 122. The Cavs have the number one defensive rating in the NBA at, where am I here, 101.5. So very, very different styles here. Atlanta loves to get up and down, run, shoot a lot of threes. Uh, they finished the season a little over 37% from three. It was tied for second in the NBA. Cleveland's more of a slow it down, grind it out, play from the inside out with their three uh, big men, Markinen, Garland, or excuse me, Mobley and Jared Allen, who they hope to get back for this game. To me, it's all going to come down to uh, playing inside. I look to Evan Mobley here in particular for Cleveland. Yes, Jared Allen is going to have to uh, get healthy and come back, and, and he's going to have a very tough assignment against Clint Capella. But I think that leaves Evan Mobley open for an opportunity to have a big game because I'm not really sure who the Hawks are going to throw on him. Mm -hmm. DeAndre Hunter makes the most sense to me, but he's not really that used to guarding people in the post. Mobley is a pretty polished post player already for a rookie and can really score in a variety of ways down there. Um, so that's going to be a tough matchup. And then do the Hawks come out and get the support from their other three-point shooters like we saw against Charlotte? Or is Trey Young going to have to do most of the heavy lifting himself? If Bogdanovich and Herter and these guys, you know, Gallinari, they come out and they start nailing threes early on in this game, it's going to change things very, very much so for the Hawks. But I don't think they're going to have nearly as many open looks from three in this game as they did against the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, I think that, you know, Cleveland definitely needs to be physical in this game. They need to push the Hawks off their spots. And three-point shooting is going to be absolutely key for the Hawks if they want to win this game, as well as offensive rebounding. When you shoot a ton of threes, there are a lot of rebounds to be had. And, you know, Cleveland, I think, matches up pretty good against a guy like Clint Capella, who did so much damage in the last game. I think he had like 17 rebounds in that last game. Yeah. They have three seven-footers they can throw out there in Cleveland. I do think Jared Allen will be available to play. He'll probably be on a minutes restriction, so he probably won't be there for the entire game. But they have three guys. They have Markinen, they have Allen, and they have Mobley that can go out there. They need to get rebounds. They need to prevent Atlanta from getting offensive rebounds, and they need to be physical with their shooters. I think that is going to be the key for Cleveland to stay in this game. Definitely. They're going, like you said, being physical, running them off the three-point line, chasing screens, things like that. This is stuff that Cleveland has done all year long. I expect Darius Garland and Trey Young both to 
almost cancel each other out. I think they're both going to play really well. Um, both their teams need them to score a bunch of points in this game in order to win. But, yeah, to me it's it's the height advantage, the size advantage, and how Cleveland can play inside out. And the fact that they're probably going to look to slow this game down that's going to really turn the tide for me. I think Cleveland ends up winning. Yeah, I agree. I think Cleveland will end up winning this game as well. I think that they, uh, you know, need a lot out of Rondo. As I mentioned in the last podcast, they need Rondo to do his thing. Dude has two championship rings. He's been in the league for a long time. He knows what he's doing. They need Rondo to do his thing. He needs to get physical with Trey Young. He needs to do the little things. He needs to empower his team, and he needs to give confidence to his teammates. I think they're going to need a much better shooting night out of Karis LeVert than they did out of the past game. If they're going to stay in this game, I think the Hawks are ranked uh, the sixth highest powered offense in the league or highest scoring. And as you mentioned, Cleveland does the complete opposite. So to deal with a high offense like that, high powered offense, you need to be physical and you need to make some shots as well. And I think Karis LeVert is going to be huge in that. And like I said, if you can put Rondo on Trey Young, maybe that'll allow Darius Garland to do a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Or Isaac Okoro, who starts for Cleveland. I expect him to get the early matchup on Trey Young. That gives Darius Garland a little bit of a breather in terms of not having to work as hard defensively. Trey isn't really going to have that luxury. I, I don't know who else he would guard on this team. Maybe you put him on Okoro as well because he's not much of an offensive uh, option for this Cleveland team. Um, but then the question becomes, does Karis LeVert get the start over Isaac Okoro anyway? So matchups, of course, in playoff games, playoff series are a big deal. And don't forget, we haven't even mentioned John Collins' name yet. Yep. I think if he doesn't play, which it looks like he's probably not going to at this point, that's going to be a big loss for Atlanta in this game. Yeah, I'm just looking at the injury report right now. Uh, as of right now, these could change by tomorrow. But as of right now, Chondi Brown Jr. is ruled out. John Collins is out. Lou Williams is out. And actually, Bogdan Bogdanovich is day-to-day. -day. I don't know yeah. what he's dealing with at this point. A lot of guys right now are listed as day-to-day. -day. Bogdan will play. I yeah. feel pretty confident. If he doesn't play, Atlanta's in yeah. huge trouble. But I think he will play. And then they also have Jared Allen listed as out, which you know I think all of these could potentially change uh, by then. I'm not sure if Lou Williams will be available. ESPN's listing it as a complete toss-up, 49.9% yeah. to 50.1%. I'm looking at the over-under on this game, Calvin, 223.5. You like the over or you like the under? Because this is a tough the, one to it's choose. It's a very tough game to call. Generally speaking, I go for the overs in all NBA games at, at this day and age. That's just the way the league goes, especially when you're, you've are you got one team that is one of the, the top uh, offensive teams in the league and is capable of just lighting it up from three, as we saw just yesterday. So I, I would probably take the over, but... I don't feel confident betting either way in this game. Yeah, Atlanta's coming into this game pretty hot, three out of five. Both teams obviously won their last games. Uh, or, sorry, they won their last game. Cleveland did not win their last game. In the last five games, Cleveland is only one in five. Or, sorry, one in four. But they were able to beat Milwaukee. They have losses, two losses against Brooklyn. Uh, a humiliating loss against Orlando yeah. and a loss to Philadelphia as well. So Cleveland is reeling a little bit, but you know, they're favored by two in this game. I think Cleveland's going to be able to pull it out. Yeah. You never know. These one game situations are always really difficult uh, to call, especially when you've got two teams that are so opposite from each other. Yeah. What's up key Kings. What's up Gotham. Good to see you guys here. The format's a little bit different on this show. You know, we have so much stuff to talk about. We love to interact with you guys, so we will be doing that as well. But we have so much to go over. We're going to basically knock out all these games, and then we finish the show with Q&A with you guys. So if you have any specific topics you want to want us to talk about any questions, uh, you know, just get ready for the end uh, because we would love to uh, just hang out with you guys and, you know, discuss fun basketball things. All right, next up, Calvin, is the second game on Friday, and that is New Orleans visiting L.A. to take on the Clippers. This is a big game. I know you and I chose different teams on this game, and uh, I think we have a little friendly wager for a shot at Jameson. <laughs> we do. Which will be exciting because we will be uh, probably watching this game live on Friday during the stream, yeah. so that will be a lot of fun. But uh, let me hear your thoughts on this game. 
This game is tough to call as well. Um, you know, New Orleans, obviously with the addition of C.J. McCollum at the trade deadline, that really changed things for them. They have been a much, much better team ever since then. And the Clippers have just not been healthy at all this season. I mean, Paul George only played 30 games. Norman Powell, a guy they traded for at the deadline, who's having a, who was in the middle of a career year, also hurt for most of the second half of the season. He only played four games down the stretch of the regular season with the Clippers. Now Luke Kennard is another guy that just missed their last play-in game. Um, he's been shooting incredibly well, 45% from three this season, led the NBA in three-point field goal shooting. They really need him to come back in this game because the Clippers have been a team that's done it by committee all year long. They're one of only a few teams in the league to have nine guys averaging double figures for them this season. Norman Powell is an asterisk there because he did most of that work with Portland. Um, but still, they've been a team that does it by committee all year long. And then New Orleans, uh, I think the biggest advantage they have in this game is rebounding. The Clippers are not a great rebounding team. Uh, they're second to last in the NBA and opponents rebounds per game. New Orleans is a very good rebounding team. Balanchunas keeps guys off the offensive boards. The Clippers don't have many guys in the paint when shots go up anyway because they spread the floor around the three-point line. So that's the one area I think I look at in this game where I expect CJ to have a good game. Again, mm -hmm. I expect Paul George to have a good game. But if Valanchunas can really dominate inside, that's a huge advantage for New Orleans. Yeah, and in that last game, they actually started Valanchunas and Jackson Hayes yeah. next to each other, which gives them, uh, you know, they're kind of doing what Cleveland's doing, right? It's just putting a bunch of big guys. Uh, you know, the the trend around the NBA over the last, like, 15 years is to play small, have a bunch of guys that can move, shoot, defend, and just kind of space the floor and just try and run guys out of the gym. It's kind of cool seeing some of these teams take a different approach and try yeah. and counteract that. You know, New Orleans is, uh, you know, they're a good team. They're dealing with some injuries as well. You know, I'm looking here at the injury reports. It's interesting. They don't have Zion or Kawhi Leonard listed on this injury report. So both of those guys yeah. are still huge question marks. Uh, as you mentioned, Luke Kennard is day-to-day. -day. I think the Clippers are going to need him in this game. Definitely. But, you know, the Clippers were pretty hot going into that play-in game against Minnesota. They were 4-0 and in their last four games. They lost that game by five. I was very disappointed by their effort in that game. I thought that they should have won that game. But they have another chance to play another game at home and uh, hopefully defeat this New Orleans team. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as they think it will be. You know, this New Orleans team is, has been playing great since the trade deadline. You mentioned C.J. McCollum has been a complete game changer for them. And uh, I, I'm going to stick with what I said yesterday. I think whoever scores more in this game between C.J. and Paul George, their team's going to win. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a good... Uh, call here like I said yesterday I think that the Clippers need Paul George to score more in this game than the Pelicans need CJ to I think it's going to come down to a couple of things rebounding like I mentioned already bench play you know both of these teams don't have the deepest benches uh, especially New Orleans so whichever bench can come in especially uh, if Luke Kennard is going to come back and play in this game that gives a bit of an advantage to the Clippers for sure, and I, I still think L.A. is, yes, they uh, did not play as well as they should have maybe in that Minnesota game. They didn't take advantage of Carl Anthony Towns fouling out pretty early on in the fourth quarter. So I expect them to come back home. Get some, they have a bad taste in their mouth, right, because Patrick Beverly just whipped them and called them out on national TV and got fined thirty grand for doing it and all that stuff. So they're, they're going to come into this game very, very motivated. I think Paul George has a really, really solid game for the Clippers, and I think they bounce back and they win this one. Okay, you heard it here first, guys. It's That's going to be an exciting game. I, I'm really excited for that. I, I like the Cleveland-Atlanta game, but I think New Orleans versus L.A. is going to be a huge game. And it's I think it's our first game we've seen on TNT of the play-in, so that should be pretty exciting. Uh, I think they're gearing up. They know it's going to be a popular game. And, uh, you know, Paul George... I'm a big Paul George fan. He's done a lot in the NBA. Hasn't won a title yet. He's bounced around to a couple different teams now. He needs to put this team on his back. 
you know, he went to L.A. to play with Kawhi Leonard. Unfortunately, Leonard's been injured all season, hasn't been available. Uh, there's some murmurs that he could potentially return. I have no idea what the validity <laughs> is to those. But if they're going to win this one game and make the playoffs, they need an absolute huge game out of Paul George. They sure do. And Paul George has evolved as a player over the past couple of years. You know, he, he's always been a phenomenal scorer, great one-on-one -on -one player, a ridiculously good outside shooter. But he just had a career-high 12 assists against your Sacramento Kings. Yep down the, towards the stretch and he's really been a phenomenal playmaker for them all year long it really helps of course when you've got so many guys spread out around the three-point line that can knock shots down um, but I, I've loved his decision making as the guy who's primarily handling the ball along with Reggie Jackson and uh, yeah I'm, I'm putting my money on Paul George for this one game over under on this game 215 and a half I take the over on this one that's pretty low I, I mean to think that the over-under for, I realize Atlanta is a very high-scoring team, but to think the over-under for that game is higher yeah. <clears throat> than this game, I would definitely put money on the over for this one. Okay, good to know. Anything else you want to mention about these last two playing games before we get to Saturday's exciting first day of the playoffs? It's going to be an exciting day. This is exactly what the NBA wants, right? They want uh, these playing games to be to be premier matchup, you know, as premier of a matchup as you can make them. I think we got the best uh, last day results possible for mm -hmm. these play-in games. You know, no San Antonio and no Charlotte involved, basically, is what I'm saying. So it, it should be an exciting day, and, and uh, we're even more excited to get the real thing underway on Saturday. And the Pelicans could potentially make the playoffs 10 games under 500. Yeah. Which is absolutely wild. Started one and twelve, right? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, one this and year. twelve. And could make the playoffs. Like I said, I'm I'm rooting for them. I really am. I, I really like what they do. And you know, we didn't even mention Brandon Ingram, right? Like yep. he's probably gonna get guarded by Robert Covington in this game. Uh, but whoever plays better offensively, I think, is gonna win this game. And I, I actually do think it's gonna slow down in the fourth quarter. It's probably going to like get a little mucky, a little physical. Uh, that's probably why the over-under is so low on this game. But uh, another exciting day of basketball. Sure is. All right, let's move on here to Saturday, April 16th, the first official day of the NBA playoffs. I don't know about you, Calvin, but I'm working on Saturday. So, unfortunately, uh, I'm going to try and watch as many of these games as I can, but I'm probably going to have to rewatch them later in the evening. Well, I am working as well, unfortunately, so I, I will be in the same boat. And we uh, we talked about doing a live stream on Saturday. I know we've only committed to Monday through Friday at this point, but we're considering doing a live stream on Saturday since the very first day of the playoffs. Let us know in the chat or down below in the comments if you would like us to do a live stream on Saturday because we care about you. We listen to you, the fans. All right, first game. This is an early game. This is 7 a.m. our time, Calvin. This reminds me of football a little bit. Utah is visiting Dallas for the first game of the playoffs. How does this game shake down? This game shakes down to how healthy is Luka Doncic. Uh, I mean, that's what this whole series is going to be based on for me. You know, again, this is another series where these two teams are, are not maybe polar opposites, but go about their business very differently. Utah loves to shoot the three. Mm -hmm. They're one of only uh, two teams in the NBA to average over 43-point attempts per game. I think that's the second straight year that they've actually done that. Um, and they, they, sh they fill it up, right? They also are a great rebounding team, obviously, with Rudy Gobert. They protect the rim really well. Um, and for Dallas, they're the, they play at the slowest pace in the NBA. Everything they do revolves around Luka mm -hmm. and playing good team defense. Um, they've got one of the only five players in the NBA to play all 82 games this season. That's Dwight Powell. Uh, so they've got an NBA Ironman on their team, which is pretty impressive given he just missed yeah. uh, an entire season and a half, I think it was, with a torn Achilles. He's well-rested. He is well-rested. But, yeah, I mean, this, this series absolutely has to come down to how healthy is Luka because if he can't be at his best 
I don't think Dallas has much of a chance against any team in the West. Oh, yeah. They, they only go as far as he takes them. You know, he's still listed as out in this game. Like I said earlier, all these could change. It just gives you a little insight to where they're at right now. Maxi Kleber is also listed as out. He's been very big for them. Uh, you know, Frank Nilakina is day-to-day. Sterling Brown is day-to-day. And then Donovan Mitchell is day-to-day for the Utah Jazz this is going to be an exciting matchup. I, it's really hard for me to pick a team here because I, I see so much good out of both teams, and then I also see the faults too, right? Like Utah for me last year was an incredible team. I thought that they were going to go much further. They've underperformed this season. You know, Dallas has done the same. They end up trading Porzingis uh, for Spencer Dinwiddie. He's been playing great. I'm still not like sold on what his exact role is on this team because Luka Doncic handles the ball so much and we saw Spencer Dinwiddie have, you know, some of his best basketball seasons handling the ball in Brooklyn. So, it's a tough game for me, but I agree with you. It comes down to health, right? Like is Luka Doncic going to be himself? Is he going to put up another 30-point triple-double in this game? Because that's what we've known for him in the playoffs over the last few seasons. How's Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's chemistry going to work out? We've seen them play incredible together. And then we've also heard about all these issues that they've had off the court, whether it's the COVID thing or or other stuff. He's been mentioned in trade rumors. I'm talking about Rudy Gobert. Uh, so this is going to be a very interesting series. I don't think... Who wins this first game is automatically going to win the series, but it definitely sets a tone. And if Dallas can win this game at home and Luka's looking like himself, I think it definitely advantage Dallas. Yeah, I, I would give a slight advantage to Dallas. You can look at Utah one of two ways. You know, a lot of people have talked about what player in these NBA playoffs has the most to prove or the most on the line. Utah is one of the teams with the most to prove for me. And they're mm-hmm. coming off of a year where they were the number one seed in the West. They didn't do anything. Um, yep. They've had some really, really heartbreaking moments in the playoffs the past couple of years. That series against Denver in mm-hmm. the bubble was one of the, the most entertaining series to watch in recent memory. Um, but they came up short time and time again, right? So you can either look at them and say, well, that just means that they've gone through their trials and tribulations and they're ready to finally break through. Or you can look at what they did this season as you mentioned, they, they didn't perform as well as they have the past couple of years. So are they really ready um, to go through another difficult series again? So, yeah, if, if Luka is healthy, I think Dallas wins this series by a, a close margin. I could easily see it going six or seven games. Um, but I, I just don't trust Utah enough right now. Yeah, I think, you know, both of these teams – didn't imagine that they would be fighting for their lives here in the first round. You know, I, I thought that both of these teams were probably going to end up in the top four, maybe, uh, as far as, like, standings go. But now only one's moving on, right? One of them is going to be eliminated, and I think it will be, uh, you know, a disappointment for that team. So if Utah's out early, what do they need to do this off season? If the Mavericks get bounced early, what do they need to do this offseason to come back and be competitive and be what they want to be next year? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have any ideas on those? On what, I'm sorry, what the Mavericks will be next year? What the Mavericks or the Jazz need to do to improve if they lose in the first round this year. Well, that's that's really tough. I mean, because Dallas had, uh, in my opinion, a they overachieved a little bit this year. I, I felt like they would probably be somewhere in the six to seven range. They end up with a home home court advantage for the first round. Mm-hmm. They're a, a much improved defensive team. I did not expect that. You know, after they trade away Porzingis, you kind yep. of have the question of is this team just going to fold and collapse? They didn't. They they continued on the same trajectory. Spencer Dinwiddie's been a great addition for them, and I think he plays well next to Luka, actually, with his catch-and-shoot ability. He shot just under 50% from the field and 40% from three this year. Uh, when you have a guy like Luka on your team who draws a lot of attention, obviously, and is a great distributor, catch-and-shoot guys are really, really important to have, and they've got a few of them on this team. Yep, and Jason Kidd helps a lot as absolutely, well. Right? Absolutely. So I, I think that um, Utah probably is at a bigger crossroads this offseason than Dallas is. 
Um, just because of the, the issues you mentioned with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, there's a big, big cloud hanging over that organization right now. Quinn Snyder is now on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. He's one of, I think, one of the better coaches in the NBA. So, But it's that one of those situations, again, where if you get to the door and you're knocking, but you just can't seem to get through time and time again, eventually something has to change. Um, and Utah tried to make some changes at the deadline this year they got rid of joe ingles yep uh, they got rid of rodney hood last year or was that two years ago something like that yep um so they they're i think they have a lot of question marks to answer this offseason especially if they are bounced out here in the first round again yeah they brought in a guy like mike conley who's been a great player in the league uh was the highest paid player in the nba at one point I think last year they were like ranked number one in defense and number one in three-point shooting. Two things that, you know, many teams strive to be, right? But they did underperform in the playoffs. I think it's more than one thing, right? Like, if they lose this series, first off, you need to figure out what's going on with Mitchell and Gobert and whether those guys are willing to squash it because they're two great players. And we've seen a lot of teams have success with the – center shooting guard combo that plays really well together these guys have not had that same success in the playoffs they've had it in the regular season Mm -hmm. but we need to figure out if those guys are going to be on the same page if they are i think you just got to continue to bring in wing depth you need shooters you need more defenders and uh you know i'd be a little stumped if i was utah just because of how well they did last season and then they just struggled and fell over in the playoffs yeah. But uh, they they need they need more talent. They just need to add more talent. They need more talent, and, and they need. I, I think they need to just structure their team better. You know, having Rudy Gobert as your safety net back there is really great, right? He's a multiple defensive player of the year. Might win it again this season. But their perimeter defense is very bad. Yeah. So they put a lot of pressure on Rudy Gobert time and time again. Um, he does save them a lot, but they really need to get better defending on the perimeter. And offensively, they they love to swing the ball around and shoot a lot of threes. But what's the saying, right? Live by the three, die by the three. Yep. So if they can't knock down outside shots, they're going to really struggle to beat any anybody in the playoffs. Yeah, and Gobert needs to work on his inside game a little bit more. When they go, do get to those points where they're not making shots they need to be able to give it to somebody inside and get a bucket when they really need one uh donovan mitchell can't just do it all himself yeah and i think it's fair to ask more of rudy gobert right he's gonna make what 40 million dollars next for the next three years or something like that yeah so it's time that he he's done a lot for that organization he's been uh you know the type of player that they've needed him to be minus the whole uh, shutting down the league thing a couple of years ago. But um, can, can you justify paying the guy that much if he's only going to average 15 points a game yeah. and basically just be available for putbacks and, and lobs? I mean, it goes to what you said, right? Like the team needs to take pressure off him on the defensive end of the floor. And maybe that allows him more energy, more time, more effort to put yeah. towards offense. Yep. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like Dennis Rodman, for example, if he played today, would somebody give him a $200 million contract? <sighs> I think there probably would be a team that does that. Yeah. And, you know, you could probably justify that he was worth that for the Chicago Bulls specifically mm-hmm. and even for the Pistons, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> when Once you see that number of $40 million, $41 million the yeah. next season, you're like, whoa. Yeah, you could end up like the Green Bay Packers, right, where you spend all your money on your quarterback yeah. and then you got to trade yeah. away your other players because you can't afford them, and then your quarterback doesn't have anybody to throw the ball to. Yep. All right, moving on to the second game on Saturday. Minnesota, the the world champion Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> after their celebration. Did you see the parade that they had in the streets? It was pretty funny. It was crazy. Our visiting, uh, the dark horse... <laughs> As uh, Go Get Bradley Beal says, Memphis Grizzlies. Calvin, now I know you are a huge Ja Morant fan. 
Yes, I am. This Memphis team has been playing incredibly well with or without him. It doesn't matter. Yeah. All they do is win games. I think, what are they, second in the in the East right now? Second in the West. Or Sorry, sorry in the West, in the standings. Let me hear your thoughts on this game. This series is perhaps the most interesting and will be the most entertaining series of the first round for me. I think actually both the 2-7 matchups, Boston-Brooklyn out east, Minnesota-Memphis out west, these are going to be must-see TV series. Um, And we've been talking a lot about teams that do it opposite ways here. Memphis and Minnesota, they attack things the same way. Um, The Grizzlies, they've been arguably the best team on paper all season long. They're second in points per game. They're first in rebounds, first in steals, first in blocks, first in fast break points, first in second chance points, first in paint points. They score a staggering 50% of their points in the paint. That's amazing. Um, and they're good whether or not John Morant plays. Yeah. 20 and 3 without him this year. What they've done being the second youngest team in the NBA, average age of 24 years old on this team. It's ridiculous to think that they're this good already. And Minnesota, the second half of the season, has been almost just as good. They're the number one scoring team in the NBA. They shoot a ton of threes. They Mm -hmm. average the most made and most attempted threes per game of any team in the league. So there's a lot of firepower for this game or for this series. A lot of star power as well. Uh, it's going to be very entertaining. I still think Memphis is going to come out on top, but I do have a, a slight question mark about is Memphis ready for this stage? I think they're going to answer that pretty quickly, but you never know with a team that's this young. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It goes right back to what you're saying is like they're only 24 years old. How can they be good, this good this fast? It's only been the regular season. We've seen plenty of teams, just like the Utah Jazz, right, that have had incredible regular seasons only to fall apart in the playoffs because the playoffs really are just a a different type of basketball. Now, if you were to look at this matchup, what team matches up better for the Memphis Grizzlies than the Minnesota Timberwolves that doesn't have a lot of postseason experience, right? They won one play-in game, and they were celebrating like they won the championship. Memphis is favored by seven in this game. The over-under is 235. I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game. But I I look at the last game where I'm like, okay, Towns fouled out, right? Memphis, or sorry, Minnesota was still able to get that W, right? If you look at Memphis and all the points they score in the paint, they're just going to constantly be going after Carl Anthony Towns and I wouldn't be surprised if he fouls out in this game or or two or three games in this series because John Morant's going to try and dunk over him every single <laughs> well, play, he will try right? to dunk over anyone it doesn't matter who's back there but I'm glad that you brought this up because fouls will be a key factor in this series Memphis 23 little over 23 free throw attempts per game this season that's seventh in the NBA Minnesota allows the most I sorry, I said field goal, but free throw attempts. Yep. Minnesota allows the most free throw attempts of any team in the league per game. They play very aggressive defensively. They gamble a lot, and they play physical. So if the Grizzlies are at the line constantly in this series, that's going to be a big advantage for them. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned the X factor of the last game for Minnesota was D'Angelo Russell, and he absolutely did everything he needed to do in that game. But we've also seen some inconsistencies with this guy, right? Like he had a great season in Brooklyn, made his first all-star game, got traded to Golden State, then they move him to Minnesota. Hasn't quite been the same guy. He played great in the last game, but can he do it over this seven-game series? I'm not really sure. I'm picking Minnesota just like you, or sorry, Memphis just like you to win this this game. Yeah, I think this series is Memphis's to lose, but it's gonna be it's gonna be very entertaining and expect. Expect a lot of points to be scored here. Yeah. So moving on here, another exciting series. First game of the series, Toronto visiting Philadelphia. We've heard all about the vaccination status of players and how this is going to impact them in this series because Toronto still has the vaccination mandate. Uh, So there will be, uh, I think, only one player at this point that cannot play in Toronto, and that's Matisse Thybul, yep. that we've heard of so far. 
Right now, Fred Van Vliet's listed as out in this game. Don't know if that's going to happen, but that's huge for them. He oh, yeah, is definitely. probably their first or second best player. Him and Siakam pretty much go hand in hand there. Philadelphia's got James Harden and an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid. Let me hear your thoughts on this game, Cal. A lot of big storylines in this game, more so, I think, for Philadelphia than Toronto. Toronto is another team that you probably didn't expect to be here. Maybe you thought they'd be a play-in tournament team, but they really had a great second half there. Um, Both these teams are very solid defensive teams, and turnovers, I think, is going to be one of the biggest factors to watch in this game. Both these teams are really good at taking care of the ball. Uh, In fact, they're second and third, respectively, in turnovers per game in the NBA. So whichever team is able to create more turnovers, Toronto is second in the NBA or finished the the season second in the NBA in steals per game. Um, But again, both these teams take care of the rock. So that's going to be a a really, really key factor. James Harden for me is the player with the most to prove in these playoffs. Mm -hmm. He ended the season playing really, really badly. Jalen Rose had a great quote on NBA, uh, NBA today or whatever the show was. The other day where he talked about his numbers are looking more like tour dates than they are um, actual games. You know, oh, 4 of 11, 4 of 12, yeah, 3 yeah. of 15. Um, he's on tour right now. He needs to get himself in the game. And uh, I, he is going to take this team as far as they will go, I think. Embiid has been playing at an NBA MVP level all season long, and I expect that to continue. He's going to be a real problem for Toronto to have to deal with inside. Um, but both these teams are gritty defensive teams. I think that Tyrese Maxey is my X factor in this series, though. If he's able to play like he did all year long, that's going to be advantage Philadelphia, and I expect them to win probably six games or so, something like that. Yeah, a lot of good points there. James Harden needs to take off the fat suit. <laughs> you know, he, he, he just needs to be himself in this game. As you mentioned, we already know what we're going to get out of Joel Embiid. The dude has been an absolute beast, playoffs and regular season. He's done it all. I think we know what we're going to get out of him. I do think that he can will a win in maybe one or two of these games. But as you mentioned, James Harden's really going to need to step it up. For me, the key factor to this series is going to be protecting home court advantage. You know, we, we talk about visiting teams or traveling on the road. It gets even harder when you're going to a different country right in Canada I know it's not a very very long way but there's different rules there's different regulations we talked about the vaccine mandate stuff like that Philadelphia really needs to protect home court if they lose one or two of these games at home I think they're going to lose the series oh yeah that they could very well especially if they're not going to have Matisse Thibel available when they go on the road because that will hurt them definitely Philadelphia ended the season Four out of five games, wins. And uh, Toronto's three out of five. So, you know, both teams finished out the season the right way. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, interesting matchup. We'll see how well Pascal Siakam does. He started out the season really, really slow. And we'll see how James Harden does. He ended the season really, really slow. Yeah, the the defensive game plan for Toronto is going to be really key to watch. How do they handle Joel Embiid? You know, are they going to be double teaming him every single time he touches the ball. If that's the case, James Harden has to capitalize on those moments uh, where he's going to either be able to get himself an open shot or find somebody for a really wide open shot. Because once he uh, forces the defense to commit to him, you've already got two guys on Embiid. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to have to step up and make corner threes. You think we'll see the box and one in this series? It's very possible. You know, Toronto doesn't have a, a lot of size. So how they handle Embiid when he is posting up on the block is going to be one of the biggest factors to, the, to, to determining this series. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think both of us are picking Philadelphia to win this series. Gotham says, I got Toronto in this one. Let Embiid do his thing, shut down the rest. I mean... That, he could a, even beat you. That's a good game plan to have, but it's hard when you've got another MV, former MVP on the team who's capable of scoring 30 to 40 points on any given night. Yep. Which yep. is, again, why there's so much pressure on James Harden here. He's got to perform. 
Yep. Moving on to the final game on Saturday. Probably one of the most exciting. If you live in California, you've been looking forward to this for a while, right? The Warriors are returning to the playoffs. Steph Curry says he's probably going to play. Clay Thompson's back. Uh, Draymond Green. What are the Warriors going to do this season? 53-29 and 29 on the year. They're coming back strong, Calvin. And they're playing a depleted Denver team who could have the MVP on their roster. But is it enough to beat Golden State? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I mean, don't pay too much attention to the regular season series between these two teams. Denver won three games to one in that regard. Um, but yeah, a, hel- a fully healthy Golden State Warriors team back in the playoffs is the last thing that any other NBA team wants to see. Clay Thompson just ended the season scoring 41 points. He finally, uh, he had admittingly says he's not where he feels like he needs to be defensively. But when it comes to offense, playing with Steph and Draymond, catch-and-shoot threes, I think he's very much so back into his rhythm. Uh, and that's a scary thought to think about if you're the Denver Nuggets. Can Jokic do enough in order to carry this team the same way he's carried them all season long? This is going to be a really, really tough one, I think, for the for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. I see them winning. They'll be lucky, I think, if they win two games in this series. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say 4-1, to one, it's going to Golden State. Uh, You know, we talk about teams that have a switch, right, where it's like, oh, it's playoff time. Let's flip that switch. I think the Warriors definitely have that switch. And they have a good combination of of young guys and older guys that, uh, you know, have done it before. They've they got a finals MVP on the roster. They got an MVP on the roster. They got multiple rings. Uh, They got three future, if not four future Hall of Famers, if you count Iguodala. And the fact that you know, Clay Thompson has had a couple years off. Gives me positive vibes for him, right? Is the fact that it's tough playing in the finals every single year over and over and over. We saw it build up on LeBron. We saw it Definitely build up on a bunch of his him. teams. Oh, yeah. Then we saw it impact the Golden State Warriors. Curry's been out for a while, so he's probably going to come back with fresh legs. I don't know exactly how Draymond Green's feeling, but I think that uh, – I think Denver's going to be lucky to win one game in this series. Oh, wow. I, I think they get one for sure. They, they'll get one game in Denver. Um, maybe they get two games, but I don't see it being much more than that. This is another series where I'm looking at the bench as a key factor as well. I think the Warriors are much deeper. Now that they're fully healthy, they have the luxury of moving Jordan Poole, who played as good as many mm-hmm. or most starting guards in the league this year, back down to the bench. Bielitsa has given them really good minutes this year. They've got Andre Iguodala still off that bench. Jonathan Kaminga comes off the bench now for them. So this is a much more complete team, I think, than and that's not uh, totally Denver's fault, right? They're yep. missing a lot of guys, which is forcing them to play more of their reserves heavy minutes, and that's going to be advantage Golden State. Yeah, they're kind of in opposite situations here, right, where Denver has so many guys out that their bench players are playing as starters – Golden State had people that were out, so their bench players were playing as starters, and they were playing as good as starters, and now they're moved to the bench to play against uh, possibly second, third string guys for Denver. Jordan Poole is going to absolutely light it up in this series. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this Aaron Gordon-Draymond Green matchup. Well, Aaron Gordon is not going to be guarding Draymond Green. That's the one thing that Denver, I think, actually has to their advantage. Aaron Gordon has been all season long the guy that they've used on the opposing team's best wing player, or, or in a lot of cases, their best offensive player, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a guard or a, or a taller wing. I mean, he can guard anyone in this series from Steph Curry to Draymond Green. He's an incredibly versatile defensive player. Um, the problem is the Warriors just have too many weapons, right? He yep. can't guard everyone. Yeah, and I'm thinking more of like defensively, Draymond Green can probably shut down Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Uh, and then who is Jokic going to pass to? Exactly. Well, <laughs> I was also going to say Jokic is a terrible defender away from the basket. Uh, he just doesn't have the foot speed to stay with anybody. He's horrible in the pick and roll defense, switching on to smaller players. The Warriors are going to put him in those situations every single time with clay and steph and it's going to be really hard for them to stop golden state from scoring yeah i agree 
All right, guys, we're closing up this section and we are opening up Q&A. So if you guys have any questions for us, if you have any thoughts, uh, any subjects or anything you want us to cover, now is your time. So let us know in the chat. Calvin, while we're waiting for them, I'm going to ask you, Friday, what game are you most excited for? I'm mo more excited for that Clippers-Pelicans game. Uh, I just think it's uh, – I, I think it'll be the more entertaining game to watch. There's a, a few more stars, you know, that's no discredit to Atlanta and Cleveland. Um, but I feel those teams, you know, especially Cleveland is more of an up-and-coming team mm -hmm. um, with a lot of young players that we will be talking about for a long time here. Um, but they're maybe ahead of schedule a little bit. Yep. As you could say about New Orleans, but the, the deals they made at the deadline, uh, I, I think that game is the, the more tightly contested matchup and the, and the better one overall. Yeah, and, you know, the Pelicans, they could be pretty good in the future as well. I, I know C.J. McCollum's a little bit younger. He's been playing incredible. And I just want to say, if the Kings had brought in Sabonis and C.J. McCollum, I think they would be in this play-in game. I really do, because C.J. McCollum has it's hard to argue with that. played yeah. incredible. As far as Saturday goes, I know we got four games here. Which one are you most excited for? Oh, man. Pro it's probably a tie for me. I really like this Memphis-Minnesota series. I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Uh, and then the Toronto-Philadelphia series to me is one of the more intriguing series in the first round um, just because of all the different matchup stuff that we talked about. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, we got some questions in here. I just also want to remind you all, please make sure to like this video. Please share this video with all your friends that love basketball, that love bars. We're here Monday through Friday having a great time, and we bring content for you guys. Hey, Flame Fury 11. Wow, we haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, man. Welcome. When are you going to claim your autographed Marvin Bagley yeah, we, basketball? We've kept it here in good uh it's Good shape for it's you. right it's here ready to go whenever you want it all you got to do is go to instagram go to royal rebounds send us a message with your address we would love to ship you the ball because you are the winner and we held it for you this whole time all right techno peasant has got the first question of q and a do you guys think it was fair that pat bev got fined for his post game ig post uh i, I don't know F fair Pro, it's probably not fair, but it makes sense Like when you look at the rules and what the NBA, how they want you to conduct yourself in a post-game scenario. Um, so, you know, 30000 is a lot of money. Like, I, I don't think it's fair that he got fined that much, but he also knew that was going to happen. He doesn't give a shit, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I feel like there's guys in the NBA that, like, you already know what they're doing before they do it, right? Like, guys like Pat Bev, guys like Draymond Green, they're already, like, pushed the envelope so far that, you know, once they do stuff like this, the league's got to be like, come on, man, like, you're setting an example for everybody else. We need to do something. We need to step in here. But I agree with Calvin. 30 grand's a lot of money. You know, uh, at least it's going to charity is a good yeah. thing. Uh, but he was excited. He de defeated his old team that didn't want to pay him. I, I get it. I, I totally get it. And great player. I give him all the credit. But as Calvin said, you know, the rules are there for a reason, and you got to kind of stick with them. All right, big question here from Flame Fury 11 Who is your 2022 NBA champs, Calvin? I keep going back and forth on this. It literally, to me, is a coin toss. I got a rematch of Milwaukee yep. and Phoenix. They're the two best teams for me. I think both of them are very, very capable of winning the whole thing. I don't know. If somebody had a, held a gun to my head, I'd probably pick Milwaukee to repeat. There you but go. I, I really think it's a coin toss between those two teams. I think I'm in the same boat as you, uh, but at the same time, I also am going to say don't sleep on the Warriors. Oh, yeah, And of don't course. sleep on the Heat. Yeah. I just I just feel yeah. like those teams have both been to the finals. They pretty much have the same cores intact, plus they added more talent. I agree with you. I think it's going to be Phoenix and Milwaukee, but I would not be surprised if either of those other two teams snuck in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Boston is another team that I don't think for as good of a second half as they had, I don't think teams people are talking about them enough. I realize they lost Robert Williams, and that's a huge blow. 
to them just because he was so good inside defensively. But they have great star power. They're still a good defensive team overall, and they're really, really hot right now. So I think they have a very, very small chance, but they have a chance. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, to me, they're in a seven-game series, there aren't any teams out there that I think should beat Phoenix or Milwaukee. Agreed. I would love to see a Golden State uh, Phoenix Western Conference Finals, though. Here we go from Key Kings. If Philly loses to Toronto, are they in panic mode? If so, what should they do this offseason? Yeah, that's a tough one because I I think the full on panic mode, I'm gonna say no, and that's just because James Harden's only played twenty one games for them so far. I'd like to see a full season with him and Embiid together. I think Tyrese Maxey is a great third option for them as well. Um, I think they need to probably look to go get more shooting. Losing Seth Curry was a big loss for them. Um, and then their frontline depth as well. You know, they don't have Andre Drummond to back up Embiid anymore. Having a solid backup for Joel Embiid is going to be a, a necessary thing for him for the rest of his career just because of his injury past. Um, yep. You know, you, you love to think that he's finally moved on from that. Maybe it's like a Steph Curry situation where – the, the injury problems are behind him, and he's going to be pretty healthy for the rest of his career. But a big guy, a really, really big guy that's got back problems and feet problems, um, that's a scary thing. So they definitely need to sure up their backup center position, grab some more shooting. But I don't consider it to be full-on panic mode yet just because I want to see James Harden and Embiid play a full season together. Yeah. I think that they're going to win that series. I really do. But – if they do not win the series, I could see them being in a little bit of panic mode. And the reason I say that is just look at this salary on this team. Like James Harden's got a player option for next season for $47 million. Yeah, that's the one thing that I was going to bring up next. Yeah. But it, it will definitely handicap you financially yeah, if he you got picks up that option. Tobias Harris making $37 million next season. Embiid making $33 million. Danny Green's making yeah. $10 million. And then, you know, you look down the roster here. Obviously, Matisse Thibel is a, is a is a win for you. He's making $4 million next season. Tyrese Maxey only two point seven next yeah. season. Those are two good young guys. But, you know, if they lose this series, this season is an interesting season for Philadelphia because of all the Ben Simmons drama, a lot of people counted them out really early saying that, you know, your second best player doesn't even want to play on your team. What are you going to do? I think Joel Embiid basically dragged them to this point. If they lose, I think it's a little bit of a lost season for them. But I definitely think they're going to need to make some changes, whether that's trading Tobias Harris to open up some of this cap space or taking guys like Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey and trading them to try and get some more talent. I think they absolutely got fleeced in the uh, Brooklyn trade by giving up some draft picks, giving up Seth Curry and Drummond. Uh, so it's going to be a tough, tough offseason for them if they do lose this series. Yeah, yeah, it will. But I still think... You know, they run it back again next year. That With all the guys that you just mentioned, that's a good, good start, um, particularly given the fact that those first five or six games after they traded for James Harden, Philadelphia looked like they might be the best team in the Eastern Conference. So I, I just want to see more more data, more reps with this group. Yeah, and, and I think it's safe to say that Daryl Morey and James Harden have a pretty good relationship as Daryl's traded for him twice already. Uh, he's been able to re-sign him multiple times. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Does James Harden opt in for this last year at $47 million? Or does he better believe he's opting in. Or does he opt out and sign another two hundred million dollar contract with the team? Uh, so maybe it's it's interesting. James Harden's getting a little bit older. Uh, you know, he's getting more miles on his body. Is it with, worth it for him to risk it all for one season yeah. at forty seven million, or does he want long term? Uh, you know, guarantees. Yeah. And what does that do for Philadelphia? I, I want to say that. It could be tampering. It is tampering. But I want to think that, like, Daryl Morey and James Harden have already had this conversation. Oh, probably. Probably before he even traded for him. Yeah. Probably when uh, Daryl Morey was leaving Houston, was like, <laughs> hey, James, I know you're not happy here. I'm going to come get you somewhere. 
But I agree with you, Calvin. This all comes down to James Harden for me. Is James Harden James Harden? Because if he is, I'm going to roll with this same team next season. Give him a little bit more time, a little bit more chemistry. These younger guys are getting better. But if he does not look like James Harden out there in the playoffs, I'm hitting the panic button. Yeah, I think all of Philadelphia will hit the panic button as well. (laughs) Yep. All right. If L.A. loses against the Pelicans tomorrow, do you think Kawhi re-signs? Man, that's – if I had the answer to that, I'd have a lot of money. Like, Kawhi is probably one of the hardest people to figure out regardless of the team's status, you know? They could win the NBA title, and as we saw, he'll leave. (laughs) So – Anybody's guess is as good as mine on whether or not Kawhi or Paul George resigns. I mean, I think Paul George, his decision probably hinges on what Kawhi is going to do ultimately. Um, but yeah, that, that's a really, really tricky one. I did not know this, but I think they both have resigned already. I'm just looking oh, here. Is that so? It looks like Paul George has got uh, two to three more years left. Kawhi Leonard's got three more years left and a player option, but they're both making a ton of money. Between the two of them, Calvin, <laughs> they're making $85 million next season. Pretty crazy. Which is, it is really crazy. But yeah, this Clippers team needs to do, they need to bring in more more guys. They need to do something. Uh, you know, to get over that hump. But getting Kawhi Leonard back will be a huge boost for them. If he was a free agent, I'd say he's going to stay just because he's from L.A. and he basically chose this team. And I think that the Clippers have done everything that he's asked for up to this point. He asked for Paul George. They got Paul George. They don't have many draft picks left at this point. So they're in a situation where they need to do whatever they can to keep PG-13 and the claw. Oh, yeah, they definitely need to keep those guys. There's a rumor that Russie, I'm guessing this is Russell Westbrook, might be traded to Pacers for Brogdon and Heald. If it happens, in what ways would he be positive and negative influence on Tyrese Halliburton? It's a good question. Um, I think that he would be a positive influence on Tyrese just from his, you know, Russ is probably one of the, the premier competitors in professional sports for me. Um, just the way he attacks his, his regiment, his routine, you know, he's been other than that one, uh, what was it? A torn meniscus. Um, he's been very, very healthy. Yep. Yep. Uh, so just his preparation, uh, his mental attitude towards the game, I think that will have a great impact on Tyrese. Then there's the other side of things on the court side, on the court. Russ is maybe the most confusing player in NBA history. (laughs) I mean, if you look at numbers, you say this guy's easily one of the best point guards of all time. But there's the turnover issue. There's the fact that he suddenly forgot how to shoot a basketball. Um, And there's this, now all these rumors about him maybe not being as good of a team player as, you know, you'd like to think. Uh, I'm not saying any of that is true. But to me, I just... If I'm a team, Charlotte is the same way for me. If I've got a point guard that is young and I think is going to be an absolute stud, I don't want to bring Russell Westbrook to crowd that backcourt with him because I don't want the ball taken out of my young star point guard's hands. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. He is a very confusing player, and and I love Russell Westbrook. I think that, like you said, the competitiveness, the drive, the preparation, uh, his ability to maintain uh, his health, has been incredible. You know, he got undercut by Pat Bev, tore the meniscus. Before that, he hadn't missed a game in high school, college, or the NBA. And I think that yeah. was like maybe his sixth Pretty year insane. in the NBA yeah. up up to that point. Especially for a guy that plays as yeah with reckless abandonment and so much explosiveness as him, you know. If only Derrick Rose could have had the same luck that Russell Westbrook has had. Right. So I'm just hoping that this offseason is a good reflection period for Russell Westbrook where he can look and say, hey, I need to reevaluate what my goals are in the NBA, right? Like I've won MVP, I've done this, I've done that, I've been paid, everybody knows who I am. Is a title really important to me? Because if it is, I think he needs to adjust his game a little bit. He's not going to do that with the Pacers either, right? Like he's not going to win a championship with the Pacers. I think he's going to need to 
if he does get traded, I think he's going to need to go to, you know, a good team or he's going to end up getting bought out and go join a good team. You may not or agree with me on this, Calvin, but Atlanta could be a potential for him. And, you know, I know we talk about good young point guards. You don't want to take the ball out of their hands. But just the ability that Trey Young has to shoot the basketball and how many guys on that Hawks team can shoot, I think that could be one location where Russell Westbrook could be successful. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I look at a team like Boston, actually. I, I know people might think it's kind of crazy to put him alongside Tatum and Brown just because the fact that Russell Ball eats up so much of the, the basketball. Yep. But that team needs a point guard. Uh, I think you know they would probably have to surround them with a little bit more shooting. I'm not sure how Marcus Smart and, and Russell Westbrook look together. But the two of them, you know, defensively getting after it, rebounding, uh, those are two really solid guards to have from, from both of those perspectives. Uh, I'm sure the Lakers it, would welcome might, Marcus Smart in that deal. Yeah, yeah. It might just be what Boston needs to officially take them over the top. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot as well. Gotham says, Russ and Halley both have to have the ball in their hands. They do. Might tell them to score more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's proven just, you know, if I were to compare Russell Westbrook to a player in the NBA, I just keep thinking about Deer and Fox, and that's just based on, like, their speed, their aggressiveness. They need the ball in their hands. They're not the best shooters. We saw Halliburton and Fox together, and I think that was a failed experiment. So, ultimately, I think that I agree with you, Calvin. Russell Westbrook could help almost anybody in the NBA off the court, right, as a mentor. But on the court is a, is a totally different story. It really is. Thank right. you for the question. Yeah, last call for questions before we wrap it up. And uh, I'm heading to happy hour, Calvin. Lucky guy I'm over excited. Here. I'm excited. Um, tomorrow, what time are we uh, What time are we going live tomorrow? Uh, Three o'clock. Whenever, whenever you're ready. Okay. I'm off tomorrow, so. Tomorrow's going to be a little different. Uh, it's probably going to be between 2 and 3 p.m. our time. So that's about 5 to 6 p.m. Western time or 8 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, so, man, priest. I'm sorry. You, you missed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's okay. But we're, we're glad to have you. Yeah, priest. We're on Q&A right now. So if you have any questions other than what did I miss, because uh, we would spend a whole hour going Top through all that, um, let us know. But uh, rewind, rewatch this episode. It's a good one. We talk about a ton of basketball and a lot of games. And uh, Flame Fury 11 still needs to uh, – claim his Marvin Bagley <laughs> autograph basketball. Calvin, who are your top 10 picks? Well, I'm not I'm not 100% sure how to answer the question. Are you saying just who do I think the top 10 prospects are or where do you think they'll actually go? I mean, that that is a lot harder to answer, right? Cuz we don't know what the the lottery results are going to be. Um, and I think you're probably going to see a a bunch of things change from picks five to 10, depending on who ends up getting those spots, right? That's yep. the way it always goes. Yep. Um, but I think there's a pretty clear cut top four or five in this draft. It would be Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, uh, Paolo Banquero, Jaden Ivey. Mm -hmm. uh, those four guys, pretty much no matter who you ask, are at the top of this draft board. So. I think Keegan Murray are, is going to go in the top 10. another guy that will definitely go. Yeah, I mean, A.J. Griffin, AJ Griffin. Uh, Ben Matherin. Yep. You know, they're all of those names that you've been seeing for the past two or three months, really, it's pretty safe to assume that those guys are going to be the first eight to nine people taken. In order. Wow. You have a top four in, in order. order. Wow. You got a top four in order. I, again, are, are you asking me who I think the top pick is or where they'll end up? I think your top four. My top four. Yeah. Um, man, that's, that's really tough because for me, it, it, a lot of it depends on which team they're going to right? for fit wise. Um, but Jabari Smith, uh, to me, I think has the most upside or the most potential of anybody in this draft, just with his size and his skill set. Uh, Chet Holmgren probably would slide in at number two for me. 
Paolo Boncaro, I think, is a really, really talented, skilled big man, um, but he has some issues defensively, so he probably ends up third or fourth for me. I like Jaden Ivey a lot as well. Uh, I see a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of these two-way premier guards in the league. He can really score. He needs to become a better shooter at the pro level, but he's a really, really solid defender as yep. well. I'm a big Keegan Murray fan. I think what he did for Iowa towards the end of the season um, and that run in the Big Ten tournament is going to really improve his draft status. I'm a big Ben Matherin fan from the Kings perspective. You know, somebody that's going to be picking in the seven to eight range, I think is going to get potentially a steal for, for that pick if they select him as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with all those. In Gotham, I love your dirty jokes here, but I, I am not going to repeat it, but it's a good one. Priest, uh, we're taking the Cavaliers over the Hawks. And uh, Calvin, would the Knicks go after Russ and trade Randall for him? It's very possible. You know, the, the Knicks um, the Knicks are a hard team to figure out what they're going to do, right? Because they've, they've missed out now on these big-time, big-time free agents for the past four or five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a great year last year, but maybe it was a little bit of a mirage, um, and they're not actually as good as they, they seem to be last season. So they definitely need a point guard. Uh, I will for sure say that. Um, so will they target a guy like Russ? Yeah, they, they might. What about Kemba Walker for Russell Westbrook? I don't like that deal if I'm the Lakers just because Kemba had a absolutely abysmal year shooting from the outside. That's funny. They basically have the Charlotte starting backcourt yeah. and him and him and Malik Monk if they're right. able to keep him. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, you like like Calvin said, Russell Westbrook is probably one of the most confusing guys in the NBA right now. Like if you were to tell me or ask me where he fits in or where he goes, I, I could give you a couple different ideas, but in reality I have no idea. I really don't. Like the guy does so many good things. And then there's some other things that happen as well. So it's like, where does he fit? Where does he buy in? Ideally, uh, a team where it's him and a bunch of guys that shoot threes. But then who's going to rebound the ball? Uh, He's good for maybe 10, 12 a game, but he's not always going to be in position. Mm -hmm. So then what do you have to find a stretch four or a stretch five? I don't know. I don't know. All right, guys, thank you so much. We are closing up the bar here, so make sure you guys pay up your tabs. Thank you so much for joining us. As I mentioned, we will be here tomorrow live a little bit later, so make sure you guys join us. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you get notified every time we put out a new video. But thank you so much for watching, and uh, don't forget to tip your bartender. the game.